0: We thank you so much for your gospel. Lord, we thank you so much for what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, Lord that we can know you. Father that we can be alive, Lord that we can be raised from the dead, Lord and sit with Christ in the heavenly places. Lord, and I pray just in agreement from what we've sung this morning, Father, there would, there would be that awakening, Lord, that there's so much you've given us, there's so much you've deposited in us as your church. God, and I just pray that your, your word, Lord and your Holy Spirit, would just wake us up this morning, Father, to the fullness. Of your plan, God, in the fullness of what you have for the bride of Christ. And in Jesus' name we pray and believe these things. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning, guys, at ESSIS. You guys will be doing a lot of things, but come here and fellowship with us, and we appreciate it. And today we are going to be continuing in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. We'll be talking about verses 13 and 14 this morning, talking about light. Legacy or Lamentation. And this is a great set of scripture. Um, I really love just studying this all week. Uh, Paul's quoting something from Isaiah, in the Old Testament, of a prophecy of Israel. And now relating that prophecy to the church and the bride of Christ in the New Testament. And um, yeah, it's, just, it's a great um, set of scriptures. We've talked about the bride of Christ in chapter 5. This last two verses are going to wrap up this aspect of the light so we've talked about light and all the characteristics of light, what light does, how it reflects Jesus Christ in his church. Paul is putting a capstone on light and moving forward towards the bride of Christ in the rest of chapter 5. And as Johnny laid out a couple of weeks ago, part of the job of the bride of Christ is to reflect her husband, to reflect Jesus Christ by displaying light. We look at this word legacy. As I was praying about this scripture, the word legacy just kept coming to mind, and legacy looked up, the, the actual definition is something of value that's left behind for future generations. Now, I was thinking about that. What is the legacy that Christ has left behind for the church for the world? And when Jesus left, he said it was better for him to go, that he could give us the Holy Spirit, that even though the disciples were, were sad, they didn't want Jesus to leave, he said, it's better that I go, that now the Holy Spirit would be with us. And Jesus Christ made a deposit in us, a very expensive deposit that he had to pay so that we could carry on his legacy as the church, that the, the body of Christ would display who he is to future generations. And that deposit we've seen in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. I don't know if you guys took me up on a challenge last week to read the whole book of Ephesians at some point, but if you didn't, do it this week, um, jump in that and, and read the whole book of Ephesians in one sitting. But in chapter 3, verse 10, it says that, that God's eternal purpose is that the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the church. And this is going to be done by his light. This is going to be done by the deposit that Christ has made in us. And the thing that just, you know, Nat, um, really appreciated reading that that scripture. I can't remember where that was from just now in in worship. But just realizing what exactly God has done. And this deposit, this legacy that he has put in us is truly to change the world. That's really why he has put this in us. And the today's scripture in Ephesians 5, 13 through 14 says this. He says, but all these things become but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. For you people who are Bible studiers, I want to just give you a couple scriptures. We're not going to dive into all of them today, but this scripture is kind of paraphrased throughout all of Isaiah 52, 58, 59, and 60. And this isn't a direct quote, but, but Paul is literally paraphrasing three different things that are happening in these five chapters of um, the book of Isaiah regarding Israel. Now, I want to look at Isaiah 60 Is the biggest chunk of this. In, in Isaiah 60, verse 1 and 2, he says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will rise over you in his glory will be seen upon you. And this is a prophecy of, at this point, Israel was not doing super well. They had gone through a lot of captivity. They had gone through a lot of slavery. They had gone through a lot of destruction. But God's making them this promise. He doesn't say that his, his light might shine upon them. He doesn't say that his glory may be seen upon them. He says it will happen. That God's eternal purpose will not be stopped. That God's promise to Israel was not a maybe, but that he was making this statement that this would come to pass for the children of Israel. And later in Isaiah 60, verse 7, he says, they shall ascend with acceptance on my altar, and I will glorify the house of my glory. And again, very prophetic, because we talked about in chapter 2 of Ephesians, that the body of Christ is his, is, is his house of glory. That the body of Christ is the temple that God has put together to glorify himself. And again, he doesn't say this might happen, but he says, this will happen, and there's great promise in this because we. The reason why this is important to lay out before we get into Ephesians five is as we talk about the body of Christ and we talk about the bride of Christ. There's this pa- parallel that Paul is drawing between Israel and the church, and this pro- these promises that God laid out to Israel they came in confidence because it wasn't something that God was crossing his fingers hoping man, I hope that Israel figures it out so that I can get my glory. But this is something that he was going to do regardless, that he was going to find the people who were willing. He was going to find the people to, to portray his glory. And so the question is, as we talk about the church, the church is the same way. The church will display the light of Christ. The church will make the manifold wisdom of God known. The bride of Christ will reflect her husband. That I don't know if you ever turn on like Christian radio or, or Christian um, big-time TV. Sometimes it's this... Um, I don't know, like this big urgency that the church, the the body of Christ is just going to collapse and everything is going to go kind of to the shambles. And that's not true. That even if the body of Christ gets off track, the true bride of Christ will reflect the glory of God. This is something that he has promised in his word that he will do. So the question is, will we be a part of that? Will we be a part of the legacy of That God will leave. Will we be a part of the light that God is going to demonstrate to the world? Because He's made this promise evident. But just because we're called the people of God doesn't mean that we'll necessarily display His legacy. But the true bride of Christ will do so. We're going to talk about that here with the second word that we had up on the title, title is lamentation. Not a word we use a lot. It's a book of the Bible, right after Jeremiah. But this word lamentation means intense grief. Sorrow or remorse? The reason why I wanted to put this up there is because there was two specific times where the people of God received awesome promises. And they received this opportunity to reflect the light of God to the world as Israel. And there was two major times where they just blew it. That when God called Israel out of Egypt, he promised them that they would see the promised land. Right? When he pulled them out with Moses, he said, you guys will inherit a land flowing with milk and honey. But the interesting thing is out of that group of people who were promised the the promised land, there's only about like three of them, I can't remember exactly now, but only a couple of them that actually end up making it to the promised land. That God had promised this huge nation that they would inherit the promise, but because of their disobedience, because they were sleeping, because they were dead spiritually, they all died in the wilderness. That instead of reflecting the legacy of Christ, they fell into lamentation and grief and sorrow of 40 years going in circles in the wilderness because of their disobedience. Because ultimately God's promise wasn't just to those specific group of people, but his promise was to the nation of Israel. He was going to get Israel to the promised land eventually. He was waiting for people of faith to take in that promise the second time we see Israel really blow this is in the book of Jeremiah, that God promises them that if they repent, if they would turn from their ways, if they would actually defect the Chaldeans, if they would surrender, that God would redeem them. But if you read the book of Lamentations, Israel didn't listen, that they were asleep, that they were dead spiritually. As a result, um, the, Jeremiah writes the book of Lamentations, which, which is the account of God's wrath and of God's judgment on Israel because of their disobedience. As we intro into Ephesians 5, 13 through 14, this is just very important because Paul is quoting this in verse 14 for a reason, that, that he's giving this parallel for a reason. That this is something that God had laid out that so many things in the Old Testament are parallels for what God is teaching through Christ in the New Testament. Israel and church is one of those parallels. And just like Paul addresses in Romans that the people of God are not those who are by name, or aren't those who are by blood, but those who are by faith. That those who are by faith are the children of Israel, and those who are by faith are truly the bride of Christ. So on one hand, man, it's encouraging to know that God is going to make this legacy, this light known to the world, but then the question is, will we, at he assist, will we individually be a part of that? And that's a question I really want us to ponder, that when we look at, we start to look at Ephesians 5 of what light really is. Light is amazing, and I was just, um, Kendall and I were talking this week, and just when you look at the things that God did in the Old Testament, it like blows your mind. If, if you really think about, put yourself in that situation, that Moses, when he was walking up to the Red Sea, and it, it, the Egyptians are coming to kill him, I don't think he was just casually thinking, I'm just going to part the sea, we're going to walk across, it's going to all be good. I mean, these guys were terrified, and God literally parted a sea right in front of them. And that's what light does. That's what the power of God does. And that power of God that he displayed then is no different than what he wants to display now. And I'm not saying it has to be the miraculous all the time, but what about our own stuff? What about our own sin and our own darkness that's been chaining us down? What about those things being broken? The the red seas in our life, and we think there is no way I'm ever going to cross this. It's impossible. That that's what light is here to do. And as we look at what God wants to do in Ephesians, it's been amazing as we pull apart this book but the question is: Are we going to be a part of it, individually and corporately? Will we listen to God to actually be a part of His plan, or will we miss it, like Israel did in Exodus, and like Israel did in Jeremiah? So, when we look at Ephesians five, thirteen, and fourteen, it's really important to have this context of being a part of God's eternal purpose. It isn't necessarily promised to individual people, but it's promised to His people, and He's going to get it done eventually with people who listen and for people who act in faith. So we're going to look at verse 13 first and we're going to get back to this aspect of Israel and the church. And in verse 13 he says, But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. Oh, did I? Ah, oh, I, I missed a slide. I meant to put up um, the characteristics of light that we've been talking about. I thought I had that up there. Oh, there we go. The characteristics of light. So we've talked about this the last couple of weeks. We've talked about Goodness. We've talked about righteousness. We've talked about truth. we talked about light does not participate with darkness. It exposes darkness, and it also provides a prescription for darkness. So as we look at Ephesians 5, 13 through 14, he says, All things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. These things that are becoming visible are becoming visible because of the fullness of the character of God's light. This miraculous light, the parts of the Red Sea that, that raises people from the dead, this type of light. What I love about this scripture is he says, but all things become visible. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're thinking, there is no visibility in my situation. It's confusing. It's hard. The things don't add up. You don't understand why people are doing the things they're doing. But he doesn't say that there's that light makes things visible sometimes. But true light, Christ is offering us the opportunity to have visibility all the time. That doesn't mean we have the answers and every single answer all the time. But he does provide the opportunity to have visibility, and visibility means goodness, righteousness, truth, this stability in Christ that we can have those things regardless of what's going on. And that's what light. That's how we display His legacy. When you talk about this deposit that Christ put in us, he put it in us so that even when darkness came, even when the most confusing situations came, us as the body of Christ could bring clarity to that. I don't know if you guys ever been in a work environment or a school environment or just a family environment. that Nothing makes sense, but yet you can come into that as the body of Christ as someone in Jesus Christ and bring visibility, bring clarity, bring stability to that situation. In Colossians 1.13, I don't have it up there, but... There's a scripture where it says that God has delivered us from the power of darkness and into the kingdom of his son. That word darkness in the Greek has a connotation of obscurity, which means confusion, which means like muddiness, fogginess, that he's delivered us from the power of darkness. That even though we may be in dark situations, dark situations don't have the power over us. That even though we may be in confusing situations, that confusion no longer has the power over us, but light has power over us. And so even though we're in these situations, Jesus is saying, I've delivered you from the power of these things and into the power of light, into the power of being able to bring visibility, the power of being able to bring this goodness, righteousness, and truth, no matter what situation we're in. And again, it doesn't mean we'll have all the answers, but we will have visibility. The thing the Lord really challenged me with on this is as we talk about, will we be the people who inherit the, the legacy of Christ? Or are we going to be light bearers for him? As God told me personally, and I believe even us as a church, we spend way too much time get, trying to get out of um, situations of darkness. We, try, we spend way too much time trying to get out of hard things. And those are the things that God may be using to actually sanctify us. Those are the things that God may be using for us to really know him become intimate with him but we spend so much time trying to get out of him that the very thing God put on our lap to sanctify us to know him to love him is the very thing we're fighting we're trying to get away from it, but God isn't going to get us out of those situations he's going to give us light to bring visibility to those situations he's going to bring us light for us to know him and to have intimacy in the middle of those things not to get us out of those things I really believe that pain and hardship is just one of the most fertile grounds for intimacy with Christ. That above all the things we can have in this world, we can have great ministries, we can see a hundred people saved, we can see a million things. But the thing I believe, I hope, we all want to see more than anything is just Him. That we just want Him more than anything else. And more than growing spiritually or knowing the Bible, that we want to know Jesus Christ. And the way we're going to know Him, the most fertile ground for that is a lot of times in the darkest areas of our life. In the darkest areas, Times in our life, those are the times where the fertile ground of intimacy is really going to be laid. And when we look at the things in the Bible, I was, I'm thinking about first Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. One of my favorite stories started from when I was little with my parents having me watch Veggie Tales. I don't know if you guys have seen that one. That's the best Veggie Tales, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these guys are standing before this king, and this king's saying, If you don't bow down, we're going to burn you alive. And I just love their response that they say, We have no need to even answer you in this because we know. That the God that we serve can save us from this fire. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we're still willing to praise him. He's He's still the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And when it says that God, or that all things become visible when they're exposed by light, the thing we've got to remember is God is the God of every situation. That if we are sick, God is just as God as he was when we were healthy. That when we have a family issue, God is just as much God as he was during that family issue as he was before. That God never stops being Sovereign God never stops being the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood that. And they didn't know the answer. When they said that to the king, they didn't know that Christ was going to show up with them in the fire. All they, for all they knew is when they said that, they were going to be dead in 10 minutes, being thrown in this fire. But Christ does say that they didn't have the answer, but they just trusted that no matter what happened, the legacy of God would be shown through them. And that was enough. And that comes back to us, is the legacy of Christ, is the light of Christ being reflected through his bride enough for us? Is that really our eternal purpose, just like it is the Lord's? Another one, um, Johnny's mentioned this a few times on Sunday nights, but Joseph, uh, look at Joseph's life. He's abandoned by his brothers. He's thrown in the pit. He's thrown in slavery. Now he's in Egypt. Then he's thrown back in the dungeon. Now he's in the palace. He's governing over Egypt. Look at how many dark places God had him over those years, but Joseph was never trying to figure out how could he get out of those s- scenarios, he just sought the light, that God brought him stability, he brought him clarity no matter what situation he was in, and his demeanor never changed, and though that was the ground that God was using to make this guy the best governor, I mean, think how many lives um, Joseph saved, but he wouldn't have saved all those lives, he wouldn't have fulfilled the vision of God had he been trying to get out of the darkness rather than just being a light in the darkness. But one last example I want to point out is Paul. You know, you look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you look at um, Joseph, and God seems to really give them glory in the end. But you look at the life of Paul, and how many situations did Paul have to get out of? And a million of them. You read 2 Corinthians 11. That list goes on and on and on. This guy's shipwrecked. He had people abandon him. He was in prison. He was beaten. He was scorched. He was stoned. He lays out all this stuff. And what was Paul's Paul ended up getting beheaded outside of Rome? You know, Jesus didn't rapture him out of all those problems. But each one, and, and I can't remember if it's First or Corinthians, but it says that the apostles, and he's talking specifically about Paul, was a spectacle to the world and to the that Paul fulfilled this call of actually letting the light of God shine through him and bearing this legacy of who God was. But Paul didn't do it by trying to get out of the light. He did it by letting the light bring visibility to everything. And, and that everything that becomes visible is light. And that's how Paul brought this legacy. Was he didn't get out of the darkness, but he let all things become visible. That, that Paul knew that God would bring visibility to the shipwrecking. He knew God would bring visibility he knew God would bring visibility to those things and as Paul kind of puts a capstone in verse 13 on this this area or, or this section that we've talked about as being imitators of light and, and this um, or imitators of God and um, the reflectors of light just to realize I believe Ephesians with 13 to, just to show us this this um, applies to everything this applies to all things and that we can we can count on Christ making everything become Visible in light when we truly seek after Him. And again, tying back into how we started with Israel and God's plan is there's a confidence that comes with embracing God's will and embracing this legacy in our life. Because when we know that that Christ's light will bring visibility, when we know that God will have his way with his church, that's comforting. Because I know that I'm gonna mess up, but I know that in Christ. I can't mess up his eternal purpose. There's no way I can lead myself out of it by not listening. But if I'm listening and we will just obey his word and, and keep in tune to his spirit, we're not going to mess up his eternal purpose. And that's where the confidence of the believer comes from. I don't think Paul walked into Ephesus and knew, I'm going to win every debate and everyone's going to get saved and we're going to start this awesome church and people are going to get raised from the dead. He just had this confidence in God. He didn't have that much confidence in himself. He didn't hardly really know anything what was going to happen. He didn't know if that was going to be his last stoning, if that was going to be the stoning that actually finally killed him. But Paul just had this confidence in, in Christ and as a result, he was a spectacle to the world. And coming back to the beginning is God is going to have this spectacle for the church. He's going to do that. And, and the question is, will we be a part of that? Will we have a confidence in Christ's life to do this through us and will we be paying attention? But as we wrap up, for this morning, we're going to talk about Ephesians 5:14, which says, for this reason. So everything we've talked about, being imitators of God, being the light, all these things. He says, for this reason, it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I want to point out something that's really been heavy on my heart, and I've done it a million times. But every time I think of people who are sleeping or people who are dead, we think about like Ezekiel, I don't know if it's 36:37, 37, where he talks about the rising of the dry bones. We always assume that's all the unbelievers. But Paul's talking about the church. Israel, Isaiah 60 is talking about Israel. He's not talking about non-believers. He's not talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about God's chosen people. That when when Paul's saying, awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you, he's talking about us. He's talking about Jesus. He's saying, are we awake? Are we arising from the dead? He's not talking about those who are outside of the church, but he's addressing those inside the church. He's giving us a warning. Just like God was warning Israel that if we don't wake up and we don't rise from the dead, Christ won't shine his light on us. That we won't be his legacy bearers. We won't be his light bearers if we are asleep and if we are dead to what he is doing. And we cannot reflect him while being asleep or while being dead. I just pray that we as a body would, would really consider this scripture in verse 14. Because God did a lot of work in me this week of just places where I'm sleeping. And places where we experience deadness that isn't the fullness of Christ, isn't the light that he's portrayed for us. And we look at the aspect of sleeping. This is kind of all over the Old Testament. It's all over the New Testament. But Romans 13, 11 through 14 is a great scripture for this. And he says, and do this knowing the time that it is now high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night as far as have, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, let us put on the armor of light, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for, to fulfill the flesh, or for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. This scripture again. Paul's talking to believers. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's saying to believers, "We got to wake up because our salvation is near now than it was when we first believed." It sounds like something simple, but just think about it. every single day you're getting closer to standing before God. Every single day you're getting closer, either to dying or to Christ coming back or to being raptured. Whatever comes, it doesn't matter whether we die in twenty years, whether we die in fifty years, or Christ comes back in fifteen. Every day we're getting closer. To our salvation, and so is everybody else. If there's an urgency to this, and Paul's saying we've got to wake up. But when you think about sleeping, um, my mom actually shared with, this with me the other day, but sent me a deal from Charles Spurgeon, gave us um, a sermon on sleeping, uh, spiritual sleeping, and he talked about how many, think about when you're physically sleeping, how many things you can do that seem like you're awake, but you're not. You can walk. You can sleep talk. Some people can sleep eat, which is crazy. But you can hear in your sleep. When I don't know if you've ever been listening to music or you've heard someone talking while you're sleeping. And you start to dream about what they're talking about. That you breathe when you're sleeping. Your stomach and your organs work when you're sleeping. You can do a lot while you're sleeping. And the truth is you can do a lot while you're spiritually sleeping too. That you look like you're alive. You look like you're doing the right things. But inside, we're asleep. We are not living this fullness of the life of Christ. Like Matt said, man, sometimes we we'll walk around like we're just zombies in heaven. The, the spirit of the living God is inside of us. And I was convicted. One of the things, just in 100% honesty, the Lord convicted me of this week is I just remember back to when the first like year I was saved and how confident I was what God could do through every single believer because I knew what He did in me. And I knew I knew nothing one minute. And the next minute, God had completely radically changed every piece of my life. And I was just thinking, every I knew every believer had the Holy Spirit of God in them, and if God could do that to me, he could do that to them, and if the Holy Spirit was in them, who knows what they could do. And the reason why I challenged people so hard and so often was just because I knew that, I mean, the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead was just in them, and there was this expectation, and there was this, this beyond limit, limitless obedience that was in them to do, and... Just over time, that, that piece of me, I think, was just starting to go to sleep because we started to get in that mundaneness of whether it's ministry or the Christian walk. It's like, well, you know, people are on the process, and you know, over time, we're right around the corner. Once we get over there, you know, things will be a little better. But there's this urgency that should be in the believer that that, that isn't sleeping. It isn't just we can sleepwalk, we can sleep talk, that we can do the things. But there's an actual radical nature of Jesus Christ that starts to shine. Through us. You know, Jesus has this, this comment in the Gospels, and I didn't write down the reference, but he says, the kingdom of heaven is taken over by violence, and the violent take it by force. What is it, Vicky? Matthew 11, 12, amen. Matthew 11, 12. amen. Right. But think about that. He's saying... The kingdom of heaven is taken by violence. Those people who they can't sit still, that they're not sleepwalking. That these people are sprinting to the gates. These people are taking over the kingdom of heaven by violence. They can't stand still. I don't know if you guys, my favorite movie is Braveheart when the Scottish people lose it and they've got to. Of revolt against England, man, it's like it's chaos. The people just start getting their pitchforks and they start running the fight. That this is this urgency that the kingdom of heaven is taken by violence. It's not t- taken by sleepwalking. It's not taken by sleep talking. It's not taken by just mundanely going through the Christian walk, but it's taken by this our salvation is right around the corner. That you look at the, the analogies that Jesus used, he says, Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. Have you ever been super hungry or super thirsty? It's not a very pretty sight your mouth is just dry, you don't feel good, you start to get fainty, you start to get angry. When you're hungry and thirsty for something, there's this desperation and you put everything that you could ever do otherwise in front of that because you have to get food, you have to get a drink of water. In, in the songs, we sang about it a couple of weeks ago, um, Nat sang, As a Deer Pants for Water. We sing that sometimes as like, it's like this poetic picture. Think about a wild deer in the forest, hasn't eaten for a couple of days, hasn't drank for a couple days and is dying and sees a brook. He's not gonna like prance over there nice and easy and just like take this elegant drink of water. He's gonna be running over there rapidly because he's a wild animal who's dying and he needs a drink of water. That's the picture that, uh, that David's giving us in the Psalms, that this is a, something that, that if we don't get Christ, we're gonna like die. That this is just that we need him so. And we think about why that when we look at Jesus Christ who became a man, took on our affliction, was crushed by the wrath of God, but yet he loves us the way he does. I mean, we should be consumed with trying to know him every day. There's this violence in us to know Christ. It can't be sleepwalking and it can't be sleep talking, but it has to be alive in Christ and it has to be a violent hunger. That it can't be something we do because it's mundane. Two scriptures I want to look at in Revelation. I'm um, not going to go through bit by bit, but just to look at the overall theme. You guys are probably familiar with these scriptures, but Revelation 3, again, he's addressing the church. He's not addressing unbelievers. He's addressing the church. He says, And to the angel of, of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Amen. Verse 1 should strike the fear of God in us. It says, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive. People think you're alive spiritually. They would say, oh, man, that person is that definitely alive spiritually. Look at all the great things they do. Look at all this stuff for Christ they do. They have to be alive spiritually. And Jesus says, you've made a name for yourself that you're alive spiritually. But he says you're dead. That before Christ, before his, before his throne, that there's deadness still in that. And that there's that honesty to go to God that before the Lord is, is that light, is that legacy, is it sleepwalking, or is it the reality of Christ working through us? Because this is the scary thing that he's saying to this church that, that you've made it, you, there's this true name that people think you're alive but really you're dead. But the encouraging thing is verse two, he says, strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. That there's still good things in there. That there were still things in this church, even though they've been dead in some areas, there was still an opportunity for life. And that's the thing the Lord showed me that even though there's things that have been dead in me that he's had to confront, if I would just keep confess that and repent from that he'll bring life like that and that goes back to this Ephesian scripture he says if we'll arise from the dead if we'll wake up from sleep Christ will shine his light on you that he's giving us the opportunity for hope he's giving us the opportunity for life but he says we have to be watchful but we have to remember again we have to be awake and hold fast and repent and in Revelation three fourteen 14-17 a little bit later he says, to the church of the angel, of the Church of Laodiceans right, these things says, the Amen, the faithful, and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot, I can wish you were cold or hot. so that because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. But again. Verse 19 through 21. The second half of this scripture is way better than the first one. You can be alive or you can be dead and you can be sleeping and be vomited out of God's mouth. Or we can have verse 19 through 22, which is far better. He says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And it's just never too late. If we've been sleeping or we've been dead, it's just never too late. That until Christ comes back, it's not too late. And this can you imagine that Jesus Christ is literally knocking at your door at home and saying, Joe, man, I want to come and eat dinner with you. I mean, that's crazy. That the God that we sing about, all the things that Christ has done for us, that he wants this intimate relationship to sit across from the table and be with us, but he can't do that if we're sleeping. He can't do that if we're dead. That he wants to do that, but he's just saying, we'll we'll be honest with ourselves. You know, quit measuring ourselves by ourselves, quit putting up the spiritual fronts, quit putting up the performance of different things, and we would just humble ourselves and let Christ just change us. And he says, I'll come in and eat with you. I'll come in and let you sit at my right throne with me. This, this is something that's not too late. It's not to beat us down, but he's saying you can only have one or the other. You can either have the legacy of God himself, or we get the lamentation. We get the vomiting out of his mouth. But it's one or the other. If we would wake up, man, it's not like we have to wake up and do everything right. We just have to wake up and be humble and broken at his feet, and he'll do it. And that's the point. Is In Isaiah, he's not saying, Israel, do all these things, and I'm going to make you no longer on the tail but the head. He just says, if you will just arise. I will shine my light on you, you will display my legacy to the world, and you'll sit with me at my right hand in heaven. We just have to be honest and we have to be hungry as the deer pants for the water Romans 8 says that we groan with things we are too deep for words, that maybe you don't even know where to start, but just, I don't know if you've ever done it, get on the ground and groan for Christ to change you. Sometimes that's where it starts, is I don't even know what to say, but I can groan. And I'm going to groan and just sit here until Christ changes me and makes me into his legacy bear, because I don't want to be asleep anymore. And and just to have the real thing, and I want to close with these two quick scriptures. Hebrews 11, 33-40. This is what light looks like. This is what legacy of Jesus Christ looks like. It says, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Any of us want to stop the mouths of lions, that whether it's spiritually or physically. Be able to just stop, just trying just to stop it. You could actually just stop that lion from devouring your neighbor's spirit or devouring your family spirit so That you could, you could confront those things. It says, quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle. Turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of lockings and scourging yes, and of chains and imprisonments. Tormented, they were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and in caves of the earth. And all these things have obtained a good testimony. Through faith. They did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, they should not be made perfect apart from us. These people went through crazy stuff, but they they were made a spectacle of the world of God's legacy because they had faith, because they were willing to wake up from sleep, they were willing to wake up from spiritual deadness and let Christ do what only He could do. You look at all that Jesus did with the light, and I love in Ephesus where the apostles show up and they say, oh, these are the guys who turned turn the world upside down, they're here too. When's someone gonna say that about Jesus When's someone gonna say that about you? When's someone gonna say that about me? The person who flipped that school upside down, man, they're here too. But the person who flipped that neighborhood upside down is here too. That this hasn't changed in Christ. He just he wants to do this, and that's so bad. And and he's just challenged me with the I believe for me. I will speak for myself, the biggest thing is just spiritual sleepiness. It's this, there's that lack of urgency. There's that lack of just hunger and that violence that Christ talks about, taking the, the kingdom of heaven by violence. But he's willing to do it. The final scripture I want to look at is just in Hebrews 10. You guys all know the spiritual walk, the walk of Christianity is not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. And in Hebrews 10.23, it says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. When God promises that he would shine a light on us, if we would just wake up, he will. He really will. But we can't waver. It can't be this in and out. It can't be this lukewarmness. It has to be something that that is unbreakable because of faith. And it's not our confidence in ourselves, but our confidence in him. Hebrews 10.35-37 says, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which is great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet, a little while, he who is coming will come, and he will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those... <laughs> a little bit of... I'll turn my love to it. The last piece says, We are not of those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. As we begin to close, and we can get ready for our offering, and now I can get ready for worship. So I've been praying for you guys a lot. I've been praying for ESS a lot. um, That we just we wouldn't miss it. That this legacy, this light that Christ wants to display so badly, it's here. But we can't be sleeping, we can't be dead spiritually. And it takes that, that moment of honesty, and it takes that moment maybe of groaning, it takes that moment of being complete desperate, maybe looking stupid for a while because we need Christ so bad. That each one of us individually will either represent the legacy of Christ, or it'll be that lamentation of man, we just missed it. And I think of how crazy it is that during probably the, the biggest event of human history, Jesus is about to be crucified, the Son of Man is about to be crucified, and his disciples were sleeping. They're underneath the, the tree sleeping. During the, the greatest hour of human history, God is about to pay for mankind's sin, and they're asleep. That we can be so close to it, but asleep. And I just pray that, that today God would wake us up, and that he would just show us those areas that have been good, and celebrate the things that God's been doing in you. But are there this thing, man, we have been sleeping, we have been dead, and we need to find repentance for those ASAP, and he will, he will shine his light on us. So we can bring up the offering. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, God. And I pray, Lord, that with this offering, God, that we would give you faith, Lord, and that he is would steward this well, Father, for your glory. laps us up in worship as always. If there's a word um, that you would like to bring, please come up and share that. But I, I really, really believe this is urgent. That if there's areas that God has revealed to us that are sleeping or dead, that we would not leave the sanctuary until you settle that with you. Whether that's up at the altar, whether that's finding someone to pray for you, whether that's groaning, whatever that looks like, that yeah, we would take this seriously this morning. And again, if you have a word, please come up and share that.
1: God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I'll share with you I'm so excited about being in this church because regardless of what may be going on in your life or in my life, Jesus is still in the throne room of our heart. I love the fact that God what may be going on in our lives because I'm going to share something with you because I, I tell you right now I am not afraid I do not fear because I had something happen the other day I went to the doctor he said okay Tom we're going to have to check you for cancer I said what cancer don't tell me that doc you ain't going to put that on me he says well we have to check anyway I go well, you're trying to put a death sentence on me, and I'm not accepting it. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So I said, God, gonna tell you something. You can do all the tests you want, because you put a death sentence on me before, and you've done it again, and now you're doing it again. I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to follow God, whether I'm sick, whether I'm healthy, but you're not going to make me start going down that path of Sickness and disease and crying and all this other stuff because I'm a man of God and Jesus is my Savior. And you're not going to put that on my family either. I will walk with the Lord all the days of my life. And wouldn't you know it? All of a sudden, out of nowhere, I'm at Super Walmart with my sister over there, Trace. And, and we say hi, we walk by, hey, it's good to see you. And the next thing you know, I'm seeing one of my buddies, Dylan, walk in and say, Hey Dylan, what's up, bro? And we start talking about Jesus because he's having a hard time. As you need Jesus as your savior, bro. Come on, you really do. You need to know that he wants to do great things in your life. He wants to bless you and your daughter. He wants to do great things in your life. So I went running. All the way to the other side of the thorniest trees. I said, "Come on, we got to tell something about Jesus right now." But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We started telling him about Jesus and putting forth the road to salvation, and he was really, 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 yeah, really about Jesus and how He gave His life for you. And now, and then, what you need to do is you have to vocally say, "Come into my life and save my soul." Because I'm a sinner and I can't get to heaven by myself. So what happens? She's right there next to me. I'm right there next to him. And we're looking at Dylan because he's huge. And, and you know what, Dylan? All you gotta do is ask Jesus to come in your heart and save your soul, he'll do it. And guess what? He did it right there in Super Bowl Walmart. Right there in Kymmouth, Colorado. And we're sitting there going, Woo! Come on! And it's- you know, you know that there's angels jumping all over the place. There's angels celebrating in heaven. They're saying, thank you, God. He's in a book of life now. Okay. It doesn't matter what comes your way. You know that Christ shouldered your life for you. that so We might get saved. When I read that verse and I hear what he just said, that's the hope that we have. I'm not going to let someone tell me I got a disease that I don't have to accept. I said, because the worst of life for me. I, I said, I'm going to live to be 120 years old. I said, I'm going to live to be 120 years old. And you ain't taking that from me. So, so I said, please pray for my family because I get a little concerned because they think I'm a little nuts sometimes. But I don't care. I don't care. Jesus is my Savior. Right? I, I know my name is written in the book of life. Not Dylan's name is written in the book of life. And she was a witness to that. Praise the Lord, huh? Just like that, people... And no sickness, no disease, no nothing Is going to take that testimony from you Because Jesus is in your life So let him Let him, let him, let him Let him allow you to witness the people Because he wants you to Because Jesus is Lord Isn't that right brother? That's right